words. We all use them. We can use them to build somebody up or we can use them to take someone down. We can use them to bless someone. We can use them to curse someone. We can use our words to reveal a truth, but also we can use our words to cover something up. Me, I think uh, I, I use words to try and get you to like me. I like to be liked. I like you to think well of me. So when I'm in conversation with you and the questions I ask, the stories I tell, where I might embellish, what I might leave out, I'm using my words to create a good impression. Now, I know in my head that I have no control over what you're thinking in your head, but it doesn't stop me trying. And my words are quite often a key tool that I might have in order to achieve my aims. I wonder how you use your words. What do you try and do with your words? What impressions do you try and make? Do you know why? We were made in the image of a creator God, a God who created using words. And as such, we are designed to use our words to create as well, to create joy and life and faith and hope and blessing and love, peace. But because of sin and the fall and our rebellion from God, we've ended up using our words to create not for others, but for ourselves, not to give, but to take. And in doing so, we've ended up creating a world where words cause hurt and pain. I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have to get you to pause for very long to think of situations where others' words, either said to you or about you, have caused you some distress. Nor, I think, would I need you to think, um, think for very long to remember a time where you've used words in a way that you probably regret and that hurt others. We are in Matthew's Gospel. We're continuing in our section in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous section of teaching. And we're in a bit where they're known as the antitheses. Jesus is taking aspects of the Jewish law and he's bringing a new perspective, a higher ethic. So he begins each section by saying, you have heard it said, then talks about what he is talking about. And then it says, but now I say to you, brings in his new perspective. And at the heart of this section is our need for rules in order to create a good society and a good life. The Bible isn't unique in this. Political philosophers recognise that. They call it a social contract, uh, that we need rules that we all sign up to and follow in order for good society and good lives to happen. And the reason for that, and again, I think political philosophers in the Bible agree, is because our hearts are hard. As one writer says, not a Christian writer, um, Without those social contracts, without those rules, our lives would be nasty, brutish and short. Today's section, Jesus is dealing with the rules from his day around integrity and how we use our words. It's Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse 33. Again, you have heard it said that it was, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here's my big idea for you. Because of who God is and what he's done, you and I are free to use our words with integrity for others. 
Because of who God is and what he has done, you and I are free to use our words with integrity for others. Let's work our way through those verses and see how I got there. So firstly, verse 33. Um, Let me read that again. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now, the problem is, as I said just a few minutes ago, is that we use words for our own ends and not for others. And in this section, Jesus is dealing with an interpretation of the Old Testament laws around oath making. So you would make an oath as a way of uh, revealing your resolve to keep a commitment and to um, keep responsibilities that you would have. Now, you won't be surprised to learn that by Jesus' day, the whole system had uh, arisen, which allowed you to kind of um, use those oaths in different ways. Essentially, instead of taking responsibility, you could actually use oaths to avoid responsibility. Let me give you an example. Mark chapter 7, he tackles an issue with the Pharisees um, around the commandments. He says, you you don't honour your father and mother uh, because you've taken another law and misapplied it. You've declared some of your wealth, Corobin, set apart for God. And so then you've turned to your parents when they need your wealth and said, oh, really sorry, can't help you out because this money here has been set aside for God. (laughs) And he said, actually, you're misusing one law in order to avoid a responsibility under another law. And so what had happened and what he was addressing was where words are used without integrity uh, and where words are misapplied and misused for our own ends and not for others. Now, our world is very different on lots of levels to Jesus' world. It's not religious in the same way. But interestingly enough, in how we use words for our own ends and not for others, or to avoid responsibility instead of taking responsibility, I think we can see parallels. How often, especially in the world of work, have we either received or constructed a form of communication that is avoiding taking responsibility, laying the blame somewhere else, giving reasons that are beyond ourselves uh, for why something might happen? Or how often do we find ourselves constructing uh, sentences that, that are a little bit vague and woolly so that meaning can be inferred and not be clear? We use words for our own ends and not for others. And when we do so, we can lack integrity in them. Think about it. The phrase economical with the truth is one that is quite uh, relevant in our days. We don't just do it in work as well. We can do it in relationships in at home with friends, with family. I wonder if you're honest with yourself. How much do you use words for your own ends? and not for others. Are there times when, if you're honest, that your words lack integrity? That's what Jesus is tackling. Using words for ourselves and not for one another. He then goes on to talk about the fact that the kingdom of God brings a new perspective on all of this. Can I read from verse 34? I say, can I read? I'm going to read from verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, 
for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So in Jesus' day, you could swear on a whole load of things, and depending on how big it was, depended on how serious your oath was. But ultimately, what you were doing was avoiding responsibility, because you were swearing on things like the very nature and character of God, which you have no control over. That's kind of what he's getting there. But as I read it, it also reminded me of the one who was speaking, and the nature of God. And reminded me of some truths about God that I think are really interesting into this situation. So the first one is it's a reminder that God is sovereign. He is over all of this. When we use our words with one another, it's, we're often thinking horizontally. You know, how will you judge what I say? How am I judging what you say? But in talking about God's throne in heaven and his footstool in earth, Jesus reminds us that actually above all of our conversation and our use of words is the one who created words in the first place. Is, is God himself and that nothing that we say goes unnoticed or unhidden and actually the true meaning of everything we say is known by God who is above all of this. But secondly he refers to Jerusalem, he talks about not swearing on the city but that reminded me that, that this God who is above us all is also close to us. The Bible reveals that again and again God comes close he comes and dwells with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. And of course, in Jesus, he comes to us as one of us. The God who created the world in which we use words, the God who uh, none of our words are missed by, is a God who is with us and for us. And then the bit about um, the hair on your head, uh, you can't make it white or black, reminded me of verses from the Psalms. You knit me in my mother's womb. The days in my book were numbered by you. The hairs on my head were numbered by you. That, that I owe my existence to God. That he knows me. Now that truth of God, that he's overall, that he's close, and that actually he is the one I owe my existence to, um, can lead me in one of two ways. Firstly, it can lead me in a, a religious way, what I like to call the Father Christmas view of God. You better, not watch, you better watch out, you better not shout, you better not pout. I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. That actually the idea that there is a big God uh, who's watching over us, there's a big God who sees everything we do and to whom we owe our existence, means that we better meet his standard or otherwise he's going to beat us with a big stick. That's religion. It's creating an external force to try and get us to live externally different, differently. Religion doesn't work. What this truth reveals is it's a reminder of what God is like. It's a reminder that actually God came to us as one of us, took our place in death, went onto the cross, the big stick as it were, in our place, so that we could join him in life. And it's a reminder that when we say yes to Jesus, that actually our hard hearts, which means we are unable to live with integrity towards one another, we are unable to use our words fully for others, are changed for a heart of flesh. We become, by nature, people of integrity, therefore able to speak with integrity and to use our words for others. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that actually our hearts are changed and that when our hearts are changed, how we are towards and for one another, including our words, is changed as well. And so the key question is not, what do I say? Not to whom do I say it? Not do I keep my promises? But it is, have I, have I received a changed heart? Have I said yes to Jesus? Have you?
we use our words for our own ends until we meet Jesus and he changes us. And then as new creations, we use our words for one another with integrity. Let me read verse 37. That is why he's then able to say this to them. Do not, uh, and all you need to say is simply yes or no. He says, basically, in my kingdom, with a new heart, integrity is possible. You can speak simply. You can speak clearly. Because if your heart is right with God, then your words can be true. Let me explain why that is. You see, when our heart isn't right with God, we live our lives on the horizontal level. Uh, in fear of one another, worried about what somebody might think about us, fearing the condemnation of the other, seeking the approval of the other, building ourselves up before the other. And we use our words to achieve all of that. When we meet Jesus and when we accept him as Lord and Saviour, we are changed. We learn that we are loved by a Heavenly Father with a love that will never let us go, that we have an approval that is rooted in who God is and how much he loves us and not what we've done or said that that will never go. And that frees us when we are with one another, not to be afraid of one another, not to fear being condemned by one another, not to need the approval of one another. It frees us to be for one another as we have discovered God is for us. And so therefore it frees us to use our words with integrity towards one another, to create as God intended us to create with our words. So when we think about this section around oaths and promises and integrity. It's not about what we say or about what we do. It starts with about who we are. It starts with what's going on in our hearts. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, speak someone. When our hearts are changed, we will overflow with the life and the love, the integrity and the words of God. When our hearts are changed, we will create in other people's lives as God intends us to create. And so we won't need to worry about following rules and regulations because actually it'll be who we are naturally and all the time. We won't use our words for ourselves. We will use our words for others. In this section, Jesus is inviting us to a new and a higher way. In all of these teachings, he's saying there is a new and there is a better way. But as we've said before, it's not about a raising of the bar, but it's about entering into a new life in the kingdom of God with a new heart that we have received from him. A new way and a new life that just doesn't transform us, but transforms those around us. A new way in a new life that is not focused so much on what we do, but on who we are and what flows from that. Let's pray.